0: This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, mule deer and Black-Tailed deer biology and management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start Talkin' Mule Deer. Hey, it's Jody Stemler. And
1: I'm Steve Belinda, and welcome back to Talkin' Mule Deer. Today we have a fellow colleague, wildlifer, Tony Shuen from the Boona Crockett Club. Welcome, Tony.
0: Thanks for having me, Steve. Tony is the executive director of the Boone and Crockett Club has been for a number of years but you have a long history in wildlife conservation.
2: Yeah, I I've <clears throat> been around a while. I've uh I worked uh Where's the, the f- gray? Huh? <laughs> Come on. Uh, no, I know, you know, Steve, I'm not going to have that privilege of getting gray. I'm just my hair is just going to fall Oh, off. okay. So, uh, I don't I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to have that that opportunity, but um now I've been around uh, this space for for a number of years. Um uh, before Boone Crockett. I worked for uh, Johnny e. Morris uh, and, and ran the Wonders Wildlife Museum for four years and before that I was the Vice President of Communications and Marketing at the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and, and then before that I was in the for-profit sector with a video production company um, called Stony Wolf Productions. So I've been in the outdoor space for a long long time, but one thing that's always been uh, first and foremost in my mind is, you know, if you take something from the resource, you got to give it back. So You know, when I sold my company in 97, that's pretty much what I did. I ended up being in the nonprofit space and uh, trying to give a little bit back to uh, the resource that uh, had provided me a pretty good living up to that point. That's great. Now, Tony, the Boone and Crockett Club is one of the oldest nonprofit
1: conservation organizations. It was founded by Teddy Roosevelt and others, correct?
2: Correct. So it is actually the oldest conservation organization, and it was founded in 1887 by Theodore Roosevelt. And... uh, that was after he had spent two years uh, running around North Dakota, the and, Dakota's, North Dakota yeah. and, and Montana and Wyoming. And, you know, he saw a lot of things he didn't like. You know, the decimation of wildlife species, market hunting, um, the uh, pillage of our natural resources in Yellowstone National Park. Uh, and so when he came back in December of 1887, he had a meal at his – he had dinner at his house, and he invited uh, – Several people of prominence uh, and, and influence—politicians uh, and scientists and um, folks he thought could make a difference in trying to develop a solution—and that's where the Boone and Crockett Club was born. And it's been a member-driven organization ever since. Uh, we have a hundred regular members. Who—that's how Roosevelt founded. And, and created the organization, and, and those uh, are usually
1: folks of uh, higher wealth, stature, experience, people
2: of influence. Yeah, people pretty of pretty influence. tough to get one of those. Positions. Yeah, no, you you get vetted, and you get you, know, you have to be voted on three times. You got to be voted on by the board, and then the other regular members, and
0: and um, it's limited to a hundred.
2: It's limited to a hundred, and uh, and you have to die to get out. So, um, <laughs> 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 yeah. But uh, then we also have a – I've have, uh, 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 a group that we call our professional members and there's about 160 of those. And those are kind of the worker bees of the organization. Um, a tremendous brain trust in that profession well I,
0: you know i'm going to stop you right there because uh <coughs> our own miles moretti <laughs> happens to be yes, <laughs> a professional yes. member and it's questionable if there's a brain trust there so well yeah. no. his,
2: his brain might be getting a little under
0: well, not at all but miles <laughs> is all, all us here today yeah. as well
3: yeah all i can say is thank god for bob modell he, <laughs> yeah. he uh he's a good friend uh, fellow uh, person from wyoming and uh he was my sponsor and and uh, I'm, I'm really proud to be a, a professional member of Boone and Crockett. So, right? so
0: explain the professional member process, because it is, again, is also a vetting process. Oh, yeah. So
2: the professional members are guys like Miles. You know, they run nonprofit organizations that are making a difference in conservation. Uh, they run state agencies. We have several agency directors that are professional members. We have uh, federal um, folks that are professional members, members of Congress. Uh, and I think... Um, You know, those, oh, and then academics. We have a a lot of professors, wildlife biologists that are professional members. And so when I say a brain trust, you know, the way the club operates is when we have, when there's a problem that comes up, we identify that problem, and then we go to that brain trust to figure out what the solution is going to be. And we turn back around, and we then get that solution to whoever matters, whether it's members of Congress or, uh, federal agencies or what have you. So those profe- that professional group is very, very important group of people, and they really are the ones that are the problem solvers
0: for the club. And they help you to establish some of the policies or the programs that you do and, 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 and create some of the, the conservation priorities for the organization. Um, is that correct? Is that a fair way of they, policy they, statements? Yeah,
2: they help identify what's what it is that we should be addressing and then the 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 hundred regular members are kind of the overarching they say okay you know this is the direction of the club you know here's here's the issues that 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 we see a lot of those issues are brought to the table by our professionals and um And then the regular members will sign off on that and say, yeah, you're right, we got to focus on that.
0: And you guys meet a couple times a year um, during regular wildlife conferences and and, and use that as a time to hold discussions on some of the primary issues and your priorities, right?
2: Yep. Yep. So our
0: our annual meeting uh, of our
2: membership is still the first Saturday in December in honor of when we were founded in 1887 by Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, That's one of our meetings. The other meeting is at the North American, which is the...
1: The North American Wildlife and Natural Resource Conference. Absolutely.
2: And that's hosted by WMI, Wildlife Management Institute, which is an organization the club founded in 1911. So we have a tie there. So most people will know the Boone and Crockett
1: Club from the record scoring system. Correct. Which um, they may not know. That wasn't set up to just recognize the best animals of a species. It was set up to help us track the quality. Right of animals through a species through time
2: yes so the records program was started in the 1930s and it was started because if you go back three decades before that um you know one of the first things the club focused on was yellowstone national park in 1892 yellowstone preservation act they, they expanded the park they protected the park but then when roosevelt became president You know, they started the U.S. Forest Service, the National Wildlife Refuge System, uh, the National Park Service, and they also implemented state management of wildlife, did away with market hunting, made a whole bunch uh, of—they passed the Lacey Act. So they did a whole bunch of things in that time frame that basically conserved land and set up a management system that would hopefully— enhance wildlife populations. So in 19, the 1930s, they said, okay, well, we got to figure out if this actually is working or not, and how can we measure our success? And that's how the records program came
0: into being I, at the time. I heard something today in a breakfast that, that this completely relates to, and it's something that i ever heard. You can't manage it if you don't measure it.
2: <laughs> uh, well, you know, and there's, there's a lot of truth to that, because the, the science at the time said if you take a mature male specimen out of an ecosystem, that's an indicator that that ecosystem is healthy. So the records program was created and hunters encouraged to enter their heads into that system. And there's a, there's a very meticulous way that we score those animals, you know, whether they're horned animals or antlered animals, there's, there's a system that we use and that we have used for, um, that was actually developed in 1906, but it was actually only applied in the thirties when we actually started soliciting hunters to submit their heads. And, so that records program is is what we're known for. Um, in reality, it's about 10% of our entire mission budget, but um, but it is what we're known for, and it's a very integral part of our program because there's a data set there that wildlife managers use um, all the time. I mean, they if they have a problem with a sp- species in a particular area, they'll look around and they'll say, okay, well, here's an ecosystem over here that's succeeding where I'm not. You know we'll hook those wildlife managers up together and they'll exchange information and they'll figure out okay well here's what's going wrong here's what's going right and so um it's not about a name in a book at all it's 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 a it's a database that, uh, that, that's science-based and uh, provides a lot of information for wildlife management. Well, and
0: I think it's important to note because there's so much controversy about trophy hunting. Oh, yeah. And, and the concept of measuring and scoring, in some perceive, is that con- continuation of, 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 a, of a trophy hunting process. But the, the foundation of that was size of the animal, mass size of the antlers or the horns, indicates fitness, indicates a successful, that, that you've got a system that is is maintaining populations at a healthy level, and that you're also harvesting the oldest, most mature, that have had extensive time within the system to uh, transfer their genes. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that is, that that the concept of a trophy and that having a high-scoring Boone and Crockett animal is helping to, again, show that you, you, you've been successful, that, that it is trophy hunting for a, a score isn't necessarily what people think is this negative.
2: Right. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, the, the whole purpose of that, of that, of our records program, is to measure how wildlife's doing. That's the whole purpose of the program. Now, unfortunately, you know, external forces have driven this trophy concept into where trophies actually kind of a bad word. yep. But, but you know, it's, it shouldn't be because the, like I said, it's those trophies are indicators that the, that the wildlife management in this country is working on this continent is working. And, um, it's not about, uh, who can get the biggest critter. It's not a, it's not a contest. It's, it's a, it's a legitimate science-based system that, um, that's, that has been used now for decades to manage wildlife. And, People have, um, you know, want to get, oh, I want to get a booner, you know. That's the big thing. And, um, unfortunately, you know, that has become kind of a big deal for a lot of people for the wrong reason.
1: Well, there's a lot of money tied to it. You know, oh, we've seen, um, you know, a good example of this is how I, this year I drew, I drew a pretty good elk tag in, in Montana. And I wanted to kill a, a mature bull of the highest quality in that unit. And so I used the Boone and Crockett scoring system to say, okay, here's how big the animal should be, 350, you know, points for an elk, or I'm not going to take it. I ended up hunting 23 days, saw quite a few animals that met that quality, got close, didn't, you know, end up harvesting an animal. But to me, I wasn't so much focused on the score. It was focused on challenging myself to meet a goal, to have a good time, to go out there and try to put my wits as a hunter against the best animal that's lived the longest, because as you know, and as well four of us know, age, genetics, and food are what is going to determine an animal's fitness and health and size. It's got to be older, got to have good genes, and it's got to have high-quality food. And I think that that this year. is
0: important because this leads into one of your most important flagship programs, um, Fair Chase. Hunting. And then in your program, the the Hunt Fair Chase concept um, is something that you guys have been known for forever and and is also something that you're kind of reinvigorating in a a marketing campaign for ensuring that ethical hunt um, and that that, that quality of of the hunt and the fair chase value of it. Tell us about that.
2: So, so, and, and Steve touched on a very important component, that being fair chase hunting. And Fair chase has been a cornerstone of our organization since inception. It's in our the word the term fair chase is in our mission. Um, it's very important that when a record comes in, that it was taken under fair chase conditions. And like what you said, Steve, you know you're out there, you're pitting your wits against the animal. Um, you decided not to shoot an animal, you know. And fair chase is not about killing; it's about hunting. And that's that's the big separation that 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 we have you know we um we have tenets of fair chase they're very clearly articulated on our website on our score charts on, on everything that we produce and um but what it really boils down to when it comes to fair chase is what is the hunter thinking what kind of decisions is that hunter going to make and all you can do as an organization like boone and crockett is try to encourage that hunter to make the right decisions.
0: Make the right decisions when they're the only ones out in the field and know what they're doing, right? That right. The, right. That, that ethic is ingrained.
3: You know, one, one of the things, the Mule Foundation, and me personally being a professional member, we have actually uh, looked at uh, the Boone and Crockett Fair Chase policy, and our board uh, of directors actually adopted Boone and Crockett's Fair Chase policy as our policy. We follow... The Boone and Crockett scoring system. We've adopted that, so our our organization feels strongly um, aligned with with Boone and Crockett in 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 the principles of fair chase.
2: Yeah, there's actually about uh, right now over 50 organizations and state agencies that have done exactly that, Miles. And we appreciate that because these are state agencies and organizations that realize that fair chase is important, and fair chase is uh, really really puts hunters in a positive light it, it 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 is who we are as hunters um and the one thing that uh you know several of the state agencies have done too is uh we've actually trained official majors within state agencies several state agencies have come to us and they said hey you know we want our biologists and our, and our law enforcement people trained to be official majors and they have taken further steps in um using the scoring system to assess fines and restitution on uh, On animals that are taken,
1: yeah so what you 're talking about is if an animal meets a certain quality in a state and was poached, right, they can assess extra fines and an extra deterrent, S- lose your hunting license right. more than if it was an animal yep. of lesser so many dollars
2: per inch yeah. or however they do it, I mean different states do different things, yeah, we have
1: that in Montana,
2: yeah we do have that yeah. in Montana. I tell you, you know what. And Montana's got its act together on that. I mean, if you poach a, a trophy animal, you're you're in deep trouble. Yeah. And, you know you're gonna yeah. you're going it's gonna cost you a lot of money. You're gonna lose your hunting license. You're gonna lose your firearms. It's, you know. Well, and it's
0: important because poaching of any kind, obviously, is something that that all of us want to eliminate. But when you're poaching an animal, particularly then if you're also trying to pawn it off now as a trophy, um, this that's trying to deter the bad actors who are not using a fair chase ethic who are not hunting within season who are taking these economically valuable but also important to that particular forest system or whatever out of the that that, that's going to be that much higher and hopefully it's going to deter a person from making that kind of a choice if there's that much more of an implication to it
2: that's 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 what needs to happen and it just and it can't just happen in montana or a few other states are that are doing that it needs to happen across the continent you know nationwide um you know, the, it's interesting about poaching because, um, the term poaching and the term hunting are often interchanged. And you saw the best example of that in the media storm that happened after Cecil the lion was harvested in in Africa. You know, the media had a field day with that and they used hunting and poaching Interchangeably. interchangeably all throughout that. And, and, you know, the club said, you know, this is not a good thing. You know, it's making hunters look bad. And, so, we started a campaign. it was the hunt fair chase campaign and 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 coupled with that, we looked hard at 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 poaching itself and and um and we did a study that was funded by leopold um, you know that that we looked at all fifty states we did surveys with the law enforcement guys you know what what kind of restitution do you guys have what's the basis of your restitution um what kind of fines do you have how, you know how do you base those fines and we got all that data that we turned around and then shared it back out with the state agencies. But um, there was two other issues that we didn't even know about that were uncovered through that research. And one was there's states out there that don't have legislation that even addresses poaching. There's judges out there that if they do have statutes in place that address poaching, the judges don't assess these fines. They don't um, they, they see it as a victimless crime. Their, their dockets are so full that poaching cases get shoved to the bottom. And, um, and then we started looking at what economically that cost conservation. And we're not looking at a small amount of money. You know, the sample state we looked at, uh, and I won't say what state it was, but the sample state we looked at, by the time we looked at the detection rates, the number of poaching cases that were not detected, the number of poaching cases that weren't prosecuted, um, we were looking at tens of millions of dollars that was left on the table. So you, we, when you're looking at a value of, of what, whether it's a doe or whether it's a buck, what there, it has a value to the, to the public. And um, those, those, those economics are, are staggering when you're looking at, you know, how are we going to fund the North American model in the next 50 years? How are we going to support our system that, you know, globally is, you know, we're the global envy of the world with that, with the North American model. And, you know, it's sitting right there. You know, we got to start prosecuting our po- po- poaching cases because well, if we unfortunately, don't.
1: Unfortunately, poaching's not going away. I mean, you right. mentioned earlier why the club was formed. You know, I live at the doorstep of Yellowstone. I read a lot about the history, and it was really the poaching in Yellowstone that drove a lot of the Absolutely. founders and the conservation movement in this country. For people going into the park to kill animals, mostly bison, because we had decimated the bison herds out in their north in the plains. And, you know, it was actually John Lacey who saw a poacher not get, you know, the book thrown at him in the park, who then years later, when he became an elected official, said, I remember that experience in the park. You could only take take the animals, take his, take their uh, equipment, kick them out of the park, but nothing prevented them from coming back in. And so those serial poachers would do that. And he experienced it as a guest there, and le- you know, years later, pa- helped pass the Lacey Act, which was the first fe- piece of federal legislation that really tried to address that illegal trade,
2: illegal, illegal transfer of animals, yeah. and um, 1900.
1: Yeah, it's it's. Um, you know i've I've often said that poaching is a crime of opportunity, not of you know intent, but I think there's both and and you know what what my game warden friends tell me is people just get the fever
2: they do and and you and you're and you're spot on, Steve, there is two you, you got your subsistence guys that are just need some meat in the freezer. you know it, poaching is illegal it, it it's it's against the law. Poachers are not hunters, hunters are not poachers. But your subsistence guys, you know, you, you can kind of get a little bit of a feel for them. But the guys that are going in there to get the horns and the antlers, that's a different kind of a sin, And they're the ones that you really need to be taken to task because they're not there for the meat. In fact, a lot of times they leave the meat yep. on the ground.
1: Well, like we had up in Roundup this year where that, yep. you know that, that young gentleman was shooting those. I don't know if he was a gentleman, but that young guy. Mm-hmm. Was shooting those bull elk right before the season and just let them lay it was a throw kill. You know, right. it, it was right. crazy. Well, they're
3: you know uh, I, I'm I'm amazed. I, I just saw some statistics out of Utah. They had their worst poaching year in in since they've kept records, and and they've got felony poaching uh, laws on the books. And I'm that is that is really uh, a black mark on our uh, industry. Our you know conservation hunting is is. It seems like it's getting worse even with the more um, severe fines and things. And, and I, I, I think in society it's just that pressure to get the bigger and bigger animals that, that's starting to, to taint the hunters, you know. And I think we need to get back to that. Why are we hunting? Why, why are we out there?
1: Well, that goes, you know, hunters will screw up. Just like when you drive, you may not turn on your turn signal or do something. That's not a poacher. A poacher who is going out there to break the law intently and steal that resource from the law abiding folks out there. And I think that, you know, I think to me, the two things the trophy fines uh, for poaching and the wildlife violators compact have really reduce the amount we see but there's still a lot of it going on out there
2: well we and you know and we need to shore up that compact we need to take some aggressive steps because as hunters we're also responsible for policing our own ranks you best. And well, if we well, don't if we if we don't police our own ranks what's going to happen is other people start firing at us no pun intended and you know our our image all of a sudden becomes the same as the guys that we're trying to yeah police. so you know, we're, we're trying to put into place some pretty aggressive steps and some pretty aggressive. We're we're just going to launch a three-year program to try to get everybody up to speed on how we can reduce poaching, increase detection rates, increase prosecution rates. Um, and it's going to take some work because, you know, we got to develop template legislation for states that don't have it. We have to educate the judicial community that says, Hey, you know, this is not a victimless crime. It's costing taxpayers a lot of money. And, um, so that's going to be a, a, a program that we're going to move forward or an issue that we're going to move forward over the next three years to, again, it's almost a preventative measure. We have to protect the image of the hunter. We have to protect the image of the hunter because the hunter is what shoulders, and and the fishermen. I should, you know, I can't forget our, our, our friends with fins, but, you know, the hunters and anglers in this country support the entire system. And, um, you know, if we can't protect that image and, and the antis start, chiseling away at that poaching is just one easy target and you saw it in cecil you saw the exact so the
1: message for our listeners is if you know a poacher you see poaching turn it in know your tip line yep do not tolerate it as an ethical hunter i mean sometimes it may be friends and family but talk to them let's try to nip this in the bud let's help the club help the mule deer foundation others address this issue now Tony, you said something earlier about using science. And for the longest time, I thought the record book was just that. And then just a few years ago, you worked with Jim Heffelfinger and a couple others to look at uh, bighorn sheep. And you actually published a paper t- based on the record books on whether there had been a decline in certain species. And, and can you visit about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, you know, we did. And, and that's, what the, that's what that database is intended to do. I mean, over over the decades since the 1930s that we've used that, you know, we can look back and we can do studies on, okay, bighorn sheep's a good example, you know, um, and, and the work that Jim did. Uh, you know, we looked at, over time, have sheep got smaller?
1: Well, we hear that all the time. We've and, killed all the good animals
2: out there. Well, uh, and, I, and I'm going to tell you, that's not the case. You know, uh, the our wildlife managers have done an outstanding job in this country, not only on sheep, but on all the other big game species, frankly, the only, the only species that has not fully recovered beyond expectations is bison. And that's simply because we don't have landscape to put bison on. Um, but that's the only reason. And in, that, in the case of that paper, um, no sooner was that paper published than we found a new world record. And it wasn't just a small one. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you know, that, the new world record bighorn uh, outpaced the previous world record by almost seven and a half inches.
1: That's the one up on the
2: island. That was yeah. up the one up on it. Now, and again,
1: that wasn't that was an animal that was killed by a hunter. It that was found it, dead. It
2: was but, not, but it's still the, you know in, in Wild Horse Island up in the Flathead Lake, you know that has been an incubator for sheep for since the nineteen forties. They've transported hundreds of sheep off that island to help populate other areas, but the previous world record came out of Alberta. So even though it was a found head, the new world record. Those sheep populations are doing fine. And, well,
1: and we're still producing high-quality mule deer. I mean, I look, oh, yeah. at, I look at the pictures we get sent to us at the Mule Deer Foundation, and I, you know, read the trophy watch section of Boone and Crockett, and there's some great mule deer being killed out
2: there. Oh, there so were some, you know, um, we had, what, miles four of them in, yes. the, in, in the awards program? Yes. That were, you know, I mean, in that awards program, which just happened, um, you know, that, that's another measurement. And it's kind of like the book you talked about, the Jim did, the the paper. You know that program is something that we have every three years, and it it uh, it has animals that made the the top five animals in all 38 North American categories. We ask them to come and put those heads on display. Uh, we've been putting them up at Wonders of Wildlife in in, in Springfield. This year, uh, in three months, sixty thousand people saw those heads, and those heads are a testament again. Of conservation success and mule deer are doing fine. Obviously, we're concerned about um, things like CWD uh, and, and how it could impact whitetail, mule deer, and elk and moose. But you know, and, and we've got to take preventative measures. By and large, the species themselves are doing pretty well. Wouldn't you agree, Miles? Because of groups yes. like the Mule Deer Foundation—they're out there, boots on the ground, people doing great, great work.
1: Well, the other thing is it allows us to do, when you look at range-wide, mule deer may not be doing as good as we want them to at MDF, but it allows us to focus where we need to focus rather than just being a a mile wide and inch deep. We can really take the resources and partnerships and energy and go into those habitats and work with the state fish and game agencies and work with other NGOs to address needs at a local level. And oftentimes that's reflected by the information that we have, which the book and the science that Boone and Crockett supports is out there leading the way.
2: Right. And and the book is on, like I said, it's a measurement tool. You know, we're doing well. It's not that we can't do better. And we will do better with groups like mule deer doing their their good and worthwhile work because there's there's pockets where we still need mule deer, you know. But I guess the point is the the species isn't going to go extinct. And the the managers are doing a good job. Uh, The groups like Mule Deer Foundation are doing a good job. And... uh, you know we still got work to do but uh, you know we're we're, we're 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 maintaining what we have and what we should have
0: well tony we really appreciate your time we always uh appreciate this the partnership and the the respect the mutual respect and and working relationship we have with boone and crockett the club in general and individual memberships thank you for your time today we really appreciate you taking your time out of your busy day but uh is there any final thoughts that you might have that you want to share? No, no
2: you know, I just appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit of knowledge uh, about not only the organization that I'm with, but also how we work with other organizations and, and how we fit into the whole conservation picture and then just big picture conservation, but some of the issues are that we're facing. And uh, Steve, Jody, Miles, it's great to visit with you guys and thanks so for tony i gotta ask you this before okay.
1: we go am i gonna see if i go to the book am i gonna see tony's
2: name in, in the record book and all?
1: yeah you know <laughs> i've worked for the outfit but i've
2: not been able to well, be lucky the, enough those to. perks
0: don't come down that's not no, something you get no, you don't no. just automatically get your world well, record
2: i would <laughs> like that but it, it didn't work that way yep, that's good that's <laughs> so, because you hunt fair chase that's, that's because i hunt fair chase and i just haven't managed to wander, wander into walls. one of those things <laughs> yet. Yep.
0: But
3: before we go, I, I just want to thank Boone and Crockett for their leadership and partnership in the conservation community and, and their leaders uh, wherever we are, American Wildlife Conservation Partners uh, on Policy in Washington, D.C. They do so much. I mean, we just were able to touch on just a little bit today, but, but uh, we're proud to be affiliated with Boone and Crockett Club. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Miles.
0: Until the next time, this is Jody Stemmler.
1: And I'm Steve Belinda, and thank you for talking mule deer.
0: Thanks for talking Mule Deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org, and stay tuned for the next episode of Talkin' Mule Deer.